This morning, well, before I get into the, the subject, let me just say this. Those of you that are guests here, we uh, do things a little bit differently. We focus on the exchange life in Christ. And that's what I'll be teaching. That's what I have been teaching ever since I've been here. The exchange life in Christ. How when you come to Jesus Christ, you exchange the life that you had in Adam to the life that you receive in Christ. And it makes all the difference in the world. My subject this morning is unresolved life issues. Now, this morning we're going to get a better understanding why it is so important that we know our identity in Christ and that we understand a little bit more about God's grace. Our identity is a big thing. I can remember at the tender age of 19 when I went into the Marine Corps and I was shocked when I got there, when I got to boot camp. I was a, I grew up member of a gang and everything, and then I found that the Marine Corps was totally different, and they had a good lesson for me to learn, and that was discipline. It took them three months before I could believe that I was a Marine, <laughs> because they told me every day that I wasn't one, uh, and then they told me that I would be one, and uh, then I became one after three months. Our identity is a big thing. Who do you think and believe you are? Do you believe that you're a child of God? Or do you believe that this life is sort of a battle and, and you're fighting it all by yourself? So many of us have struggled with unresolved problems. We know what anxiety and hopelessness, what it feels like. Psychologists teach us that by the time a child is five, 85% of his personality is established and is irreversible. Now you think about that for a moment. At the age of five, these psychologists tell us that 85% of their personality is established and it is irreversible. Well, when I read that, I thought, well, these psychologists never heard of the scripture, 1 John, Five, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the Bible says, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. So the Bible says that no matter what the psychologists say, there can be a turning point in your life. And that turning point is Christ. A Christian is not simply a person who gets forgiveness, who gets to go to heaven, who gets the Holy Spirit, who gets this new nature, new heart. No, it's much more than that. A Christian is a person who has become someone he was not before. A Christian in terms of the deepest, their deepest identity, they are a saint. You may go to a church and you may hear that our hearts are wicked. And we can sort of agree with that, I guess. We can come to that place where we say, well, maybe that's true because that's the way I feel a lot of times. But the truth is, 
That is not who you are. That is not. You are a, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are born again. Born again. What does that mean? It means that when Christ came searching for me, I wasn't searching for Christ. I had a problem that I was trying to work out. I just got out of the Marine Corps and I had a drinking problem and everything else. My head wasn't very good. A lot of things were going through my mind all the constantly, it seemed like. And um, I didn't, uh, I wasn't quite sure what I needed. But the Bible says that God goes searching for us. We don't necessarily go searching for God. Now, when God is searching, when, he, when God comes searching for us, he finds us. And if we allow him to come into our life, this is what happens. Christ performs a surgery on you. He opens you up. He takes out that heart of stone replaces you with a new heart, gives you a new human spirit, and then he pours the Holy Spirit into your life. Now, most people who accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they don't understand it. They just know something's different, but they don't understand exactly what happened to them. God designed the human brain with a memory bank. Now, these are habit patterns that you have developed through your life. It's the way you act. It's the way you feel. It's how you think. And the more you repeat these things, the deeper the grooves come. And the harder it is to accept who you are in Christ. Now, we all have emotions, and emotions are fine. But emotions will lie to you. You, they're not always accurate. But the word of God never lies to you. Now, we have guilt. Most of us are loaded down with guilt before we come to Christ. We pretty well know the moral ethics of our environment and our country here. So we go through a lot of things. I mean, but there is false guilt as well. And that's what happens with too many people who have been brought up in the church. They have a lot of false guilt. And you cannot tell the difference between valid guilt and false guilt. And that's where it gets very confusing. The Bible says that we are a new creature. This new personhood that we have is some sort of a mystery. We try to figure it out, work it out, and it just doesn't seem to, to uh, make sense in our daily living. And one day, you were in the flesh. Every one of us are born in the flesh. We're born in Adam, the Bible tells us. So we were born with a propensity towards sin. We sin before we even understand what sin is all about. And then we go to a church and we may hear the preacher say that um, if you keep on sinning, then your destination is hell. Well, 
I'm sorry if, you, if that's what you've heard, because it's not the truth. It's not true at all. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, not by our behavior, as we will find out later this morning. When you accept Christ, you may look the same, you may weigh the same, you may feel the same, but you are not the same. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, the very core of an individual, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So the question always comes up, who do you believe you are? Are you a sinner that's saved by grace? Or are you a saint who still sins? Big difference. Big difference the way we live out our life. Now, in 1 John 3, 1, the Bible says this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. So the Bible says that we are children of God. So if you have asked God to come into your life, if you, have, if you realize that you are a sinner and you're, when, I did, when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't know what I was doing. I really didn't understand everything that I was doing. And it's not important that you understand it. It's important that you give your life to Christ. When you give your life to Christ, you are a child of God. Now, you may not feel like you're a child of God. You may not do, be doing everything right. You may be caught up in a sin. But once again, nobody will be lost because of sin. Only through unbelief. That's the only way a person can be lost. He cannot be lost because of sin because Christ died for the sins of the world. So the issue was over 2,000 years ago. When you accept Christ, you become that child of the living God. Then the Bible says in Romans, Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, when you read that, I don't know what goes on in your mind, but when I first read that, I thought, you know, I said, I, I said to myself, I said, you know, I said, I can believe that because now it seems like I want to do what's right. Before, I didn't. Now, all of a sudden, I want to do what's right. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The key here is that we are heirs. In other words, our inheritance of accepting Christ as our personal savior is eternal life. To be eternally with Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior. Now, if we still are thinking, if we still are thinking in our, in our minds that, well, as a Christian, I have to say no to myself in order to say yes to God. If that's your thinking, if that's what your belief system is, 
it's a good indication that you don't fully understand what happened to you when you gave your life to Christ. Now, contrary to popular teaching, being born again is more than having our sins forgiven, having something added to us like this new heart and new nature. It's more than just having the Holy Spirit. It's becoming someone that you never had been before, a child of God. This is your foundation. If you believe that you are a child of God, you are on solid ground. If you are going to look at your performance, if you're going to look at what you did in the past, even what you are doing now, you're looking at the wrong picture of God. God came to you. You responded to him in whatever way that I had a brother. Well, I still, I mean, I, I still have the brother, but he was back in uh, Tomahawk, Wisconsin. He was a rug salesman. He had nothing to do with God. He didn't, uh, he was always a good person, I thought, but he had a lot of problems and gambling and drinking and stuff like that. He had a lot of issues that he was going through, but he was always a good, I thought, was a good brother. And one day, a snowstorm came there in Tomahawk, Wisconsin. He was in the wintertime, and he got snowed in. So he was three days in this hotel that he was staying in. And he happened to be flipping through the channels, and all of a sudden he caught um, the, uh, I think it was called uh, Praise. It was um, Tammy and Jim Baker. You remember them? And, uh, and Jim Baker said that, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, put your hand. He put his hand up to the screen, and he said, put your hand there and repeat after me. And my brother said, he said, you know, he said, nothing was going right in my life. And so I went up and I did that. And I said, well, whether you understood what you did or not, at that moment, God read your heart. He accepted you as a child. And you are safe and secure in Christ. And he says, well, I don't always do the right things. I says, who does? Who does always do the right thing? I says, as long as we have this body, we're going to sin. Nobody has ever stopped sinning yet. You would think that somebody along the line, some, maybe somebody in the monastery or someplace where they couldn't go out and do anything, you think somebody would come to that place where they, ah, oh, yeah, I don't sin anymore. But no. Sin dwells in us, the Bible says. It dwells in us. So, if your foundation is solid, if you know that you're a child of God, not by the way you feel, not by the way you act, by you inviting Christ into your life, you are a child of God. Now, I understand that we are all in danger of believing a lie. You've heard me say before, for 15 years as a preacher, I was only preaching half of the gospel. I didn't understand it completely. Now, I feel that I have the fullness of the gospel simply because I understand it better I don't understand it completely. I am growing in God's grace, and I will grow as long as I'm here on this earth. So Paul, he went and he started a, a, 
a group of churches in Galatia. He was in the southern part of Galatia. He started three different churches there. And uh, now he goes to Jerusalem. It's three years later. He goes to Jerusalem, and he, he hears that there's a problem with one of the churches up there. And what's the problem? Well, some Jewish folks, some Jewish people accepted Christ as their personal Savior. That shouldn't be a problem. But what they did, they wanted to incorporate some of the law. So they wanted to have Jesus, and then they wanted to have some of the law. And so they were mixing law and grace. Now, I did that for many years, and I'm regret that I did it, but I didn't understand it completely, and I'm guilty as long as well as many others. The message went something like this, and see if you can identify with it. Their message was, these Jewish Christians, they, they said that, look, we're saved by grace. No question, we're saved by grace. Now, when we're saved, God expects us to do what the Bible says. He, he wants us to follow whatever the Bible says. And so we need to have some guidelines. Everybody needs guidelines. They need rules and regulations. And so these Jewish Christians were telling these Galatians, they, these Galatians were all Greek, they were telling them, look, yes, we have Christ. That's wonderful. But we also have the Ten Commandments. And uh, there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. They were saying, look, the Bible says they're holy, just, and good. So there's nothing wrong with it. So, but then God is going to give us the power and the strength to keep those commandments. That is mixing law and grace. We're either saved by grace or we're saved by the law. And we're, we know that the law kills we are not saved by the law. Somebody says to me then, well, what about, Gary? They say, what about, you say the law has been done away with? Yes, all 613 of those laws have been done away with, including the big 10, including the 10 commandments. So they say, do you mean to tell me that it's okay to steal? No. Is it okay to kill? No. Is it okay to disrespect your parents? No. The Bible says that the 10 commandments are holy just and good. They are good. They are landmarks that will be throughout eternity. Well, why would you say that they're done away with? The Ten Commandments were given to show us that it is impossible for us to keep them. The Ten Commandments point us to Christ. Now, what it does when we, when we comprehend this, this whole idea of being saved by grace, then we see that the law kills. The law points us to Jesus Christ. Once it does that, you are free from the law. Why are you free from the law? Because you've accepted Christ. Christ performed that surgery on you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Holy Spirit guides you, teaches you, counsels with you. you. You're not under law anymore. You're in Christ. Christ in you, the Bible says, 
is our hope of glory. Now, we're going to go to Galatians 4 because here's our study is going to be found here in Galatians 4. We, so also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Paul says, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent, for his, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. So Paul here is identifying the problem. He says that Christ was born of a woman, born of a virgin, and then born under the law. He was born under the law, and he taught under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And who were those? The Jewish people. Christ came to his own people first. It wasn't until Paul came that the field opened up to the Gentiles. So he was born under law. So there's a lot of times that I've referred sometimes to red-letter Christians. In other words, there's a movement throughout the world, especially in Europe, that if you have a Bible, you might have a red-letter edition in your Bible. Everything that Jesus said is in red. And so they want to do everything. They're not quite sure about Paul, but they want to do everything that Jesus said to do. And believe me, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. When Jesus was teaching the Jews, he said that, remember the rich young ruler came to him, what must I do to be saved? He says, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, no problem. No problem with that. He says, I've, I've kept them since I was really small. I have no problem keeping the Ten Commandments. And Jesus showed them that they didn't really understand what the keeping of the law was. And so he told them. He said, you have heard. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He says, I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust, you've already committed it. Wow. Then he said, you have read that you're not to murder. I say unto you that if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty of murder. Really? Is that true? Jesus said, that if your right eye affects you in any way, pluck it out. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. Is that really what Jesus meant when he said that? That's what he said, but is that what he meant? No, of course not. He was bridging from the Old Testament to the New. He was showing the Jewish people that it's impossible if you think that you're going to gain favor with God by keeping some commandments, you don't understand what the commandments are. You just don't get it. There's a spiritual aspect to the law that you don't understand. And so he tried very hard to get that across. So Paul implies here 
that we, he was born under the law. It was Christ's death that brought the new covenant of grace. It was only when Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world that we embrace grace. We are no longer required to keep 613 Jewish laws in order to find favor with God. When God came to us and we realized that we needed God and we said, yes, that's all it took. That's all it took. Now we are saved by the grace of God in Christ what happens here, and this is why so many people get so confused when it comes to religion. A lot of times what we do is we'll take Old Testament, Old Covenant theology and try to apply it to us today. And it just doesn't work. Just as we try to take some of Jesus' teachings and apply it to us today, it, it doesn't work. We don't cut off body parts because we're sinning. We don't do that. Jesus said to do it, but did he really mean that? No. It was an object lesson that you really don't understand the spirituality of the law. And that's all that he really meant. Now, not everything Jesus taught is for everyone. The Old Testament and the New Testament are the inspired word of God from Genesis to Revelation. But there's applications that are different. Jesus, he taught the, the impossibility of keeping the law. But then when you read some of the Gospels there, you find out that Jesus taught the unbelievers. He warned them about punishment. He warned them about attitudes. And then to the believers, he told them, you are the vine, um, I, I am the vine, you are the branches. He told them that I will dwell in you, you will dwell in me. Now, he made it very plain. There were three different groups that he was preaching to. One was to the Jews, one was to unbelievers, and one was to believers. But if you take everything that Jesus said, and you put it all together, and then you take from Old Testament theology, from the Old Covenant you are going to be totally confused and nothing will really make sense. And that's the problem that we have today. That's why so many people, they don't go to church, they don't, have, they don't want anything to do with it, because it just doesn't make sense. They read something from the Old Testament and they say, oh, that God is, that is terrible. Kill every man, woman, and child. And then they read something from the New Testament. They read something that Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Oh, yeah, that's the God I, that, yes, I, that's the God I want. And so they, they fear the God in the Old Testament. They want the God in the New Testament. It is a misunderstanding of God. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. It's just that we need to understand it in its context and what, what, where the Bible is applying it. So, the early Christians, they had a lot of issues, too. I mean, after all, Peter and Paul didn't agree together. Later they did, but for a while there they didn't. Now, in, in verse 6, the Bible says, 
Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the Bible simply says that if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and God as your Father, you are a son and you are the heir. And what is the inheritance? Eternal life. You have eternal life. And it is not based on your performance. It's based on your identity, who you believe you are. Are you in Christ? Have I accepted Christ as my Savior? Yes. Am I in Christ? Yes. The Bible says that because of that, he says he will let no one pluck me out of his hand. He tells me I am safe and secure forever, forever. Why? Because of what has happened in the core. Not what has happened up here in the mind, but here in the core. Last week I talked about, about grace, understanding God's grace. A lot of people get confused because they have a lot of things that go through this mind of theirs. I certainly have had my share all of my life. Those of us that came, in, came into, uh, into Christ later in life, whatever we experienced, those patterns in our, in our head are still there, some of those. And we still wake up thinking bad thoughts. We, there's a lot of things that happen up here. Paul says that when that happens, it's not you, it's sin that dwells in you. So what do we do when these things come into our mind? Well, if we'll just go down 12 inches to our core, if we can trust our heart, and you can trust your heart, you cannot trust your mind. Too many things go through that. But you can trust your heart. That is the key to living out the abundant life in Christ, is trusting your heart. Because if you've accepted Christ, you have a good heart. I mean, God loves you because of your heart. Not because of your performance, but because of your heart. He loves you. He thinks you're the greatest thing going. He loves you, and he can't express it enough. He just thinks you are wonderful. You may not think you're wonderful. You may not think you've got it all together, but it's not what you think that counts. It's what God thinks. It's how God looks at you, and at your core, you are everything he would want you to be. Now, that should be good news for every one of us, that we are everything that God wants us to be. Here we have, therefore you are no longer a slave. What does it mean? Slave to what? It's slave to the law. You are not under law, you are under grace. You do not have to perform a certain way for God to love you. He loves you just exactly the way you are. You know, they call, well, if, if you'd go over to uh, Jerusalem today, and uh, I was uh, down at the Wailing Wall, this was 20-some years ago, and the little boys <laughs> would pull on their, on their father's uh, tunic and, and they would say, Abba, Abba, means Father, Father. That's the way God wants us to look at him as our father, our earthly father. 
It was hard for me to do that because of my earthly father. I mean, he wasn't, very, he wasn't a very good guy. But he became a beautiful, wonderful Christian later in his life. So he was everything that God wanted him to be, although he made a lot of mistakes. And so have all of us. We've made a lot of mistakes. And then, it, it, Abba Father, it was, it was foreign to the early Christians to even, to even dare to say that. To call God daddy. I mean, that was, that was really foreign. It became their distinctive mark. Just like the Jews, circumcision was their mark. Abba, Father, was a new Christian's mark. To be able to have a relationship where you could look to God the Father, Abba, Father, my Father, who loves me and cares for me. Paul is simply saying to the Galatians, those Judaizers were wrong. Acceptance is not based on observing the law. He says they are dead wrong. God accepts everyone who believes, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, whether you're free or whether you're a slave or whether you're a male or whether you're a female. And then the Bible says this. In verse 9, the Bible says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Just think of this. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. God knows you. When you gave your life to him, he knows you. He wrote your, he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. He promised, he made you a promise that no one would ever pluck you out of his hand. You are safe and secure in him forever, forever. Wow. And then the Bible says that you observe days and months and seasons and years. What the early Christians were doing, and there's, this is happening today. There's a lot of fellowships today who want to incorporate some of the Jewish traditions into their service. Some of them are even wearing the, the, I forgot what they call that cloth, but they're wearing that in the service. And they're going back to some of the, the new moons, some of the, the Sabbath days and so forth. All of these were symbols. The Sabbath was a symbol of now that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we are called into a Sabbath rest. In other words, we can rest now that we're born-again Christians because the work is over. The work has been done at the cross 2,000 years ago. So we don't go back. And then the Bible says, My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Now this is a different, a, a, an interesting the way that Paul phrases this. Because Paul is very upset at these Galatians. He worked hard to help them understand the gospel. He thought that when he left three years ago that they were fine, that they understood it, and, and then these, these Judaizers came in. And, uh, and so Paul is saying here that until Christ, he says, I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Christ in you. And Paul was simply saying, look, I'm going to have to start all over. You're going, to, you're going to hear it all over again. You are saved by grace 
the law kills. And let me show you how it does. And this is the interesting part. And then he goes on. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of the bondwoman and one from the free woman. But the, but the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. Now, most of you remember the story. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. And, the, he, and then God told Abraham that they were going to have a child. And um, they said, oh, that's fine, but we don't think so. And so Sarah got with Abraham and, and said, this is going to be an impossibility. Those years are gone for me. And, um, and so Abraham, he's, he probably just said, don't worry, Lord. I'll go to plan B and uh, we'll get Hagar because uh, Sarah suggested we get, uh, get Hagar, and she was the maid. And so they got together, and they had a child. And that child is referred to as the bond, is the, is the bond woman, Sarah, or Hagar is, and one of the free women, which is Sarah. She was the woman of promise. God made a promise to Abraham, and God is going to keep it. Now, here's the problem here in verse... 24, it says, this is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, that was when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, one, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. They weren't slaves, but they are to be slaves. She is Hagar. And then, now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So, do you see it? Hagar is a covenant established on Mount Sinai. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And they represent the people there on Mount Sinai. God's people. And then it says here that her children are to be slaves, the state of those who live under the law. Well, where is that? It's in Jerusalem. It's the Jewish people. They are slaves. They are surrounded by the Arab nation. And we just heard more stories about the sending rockets over there. They are enslaved because they are under the law. And it says here, and you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. It's like saying, and you, at Grace Bible Fellowship, you are children of the promise. You are not under law, but you are under grace. Wow, what a wonderful place to be. That's where we are today. Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. And so the Moses plus Christ Christians say are going, they're going to persecute the Christians. Now we know that all around the world, Christians are being persecuted. Over 20 years ago, when I was in Jerusalem, I was doing a study on the Israel-Arab conflict. So I made arrangements, a good friend of mine who was over there in Jerusalem, 
that I would stay with an Israeli family for one week and I would stay with a Palestinian family for another week because they're really half-brothers. And I was doing this study on the Israel-Arab conflict and so I, had, I wanted an opportunity to understand where all this hatred really is. When I was there, again, it's been over 20 years ago, there was a law. The Jewish people in, in Israel or in, in Jerusalem had a law. If you were caught proselyting, if you were trying to convert a Jew to Christianity, if you were holding a Bible study in, their, in your home and you had invited them in, if they turned you, turned you in, you would get five years in prison. Five years in prison. All around the world, Christians are being persecuted. Now, there is a movement today. And I've I kind of flipped through the channels sometimes on the religious stations. And I've heard some of these uh, uh, televangelists who are saying that there is an issue today that there are preachers out there, which would be me, that are preaching too much grace. You need guidelines. And you know, he's absolutely right if you don't understand that Christ lives in you. If Christ lives in you through the Holy Spirit, you have all the guidelines that you will ever need. You'll never have to worry about being judged by the law. Christ in you is our hope of glory, the Bible says. Now, preachers are nervous about hearing preachers like myself and others that preach total forgiveness. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for the sins of the world. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. Here we are 2,000 plus years this side of the cross. When we accept Jesus Christ, he cleanses us. In other words, he takes everything that we ever done and he forgives us for us. Then, what people don't realize, that not only does he do that, but for every sin that you would commit in the future, he took care of that also. He took care of that. So sin is not the issue that determines whether you are saved or lost. It's your belief. Who do you believe you really are? If you believe that you're a child of God, you are rock solid. If you believe that you have a new heart, you are rock solid with God. It's not your performance. He's not looking at your performance. The Bible says that he will recreate us into his image. If you read the Bible, you'll, you'll find, if you read Romans 8, you'll find it says you are free from the law of sin. You are free from it. If you read 1 Corinthians 1, you are sanctified, you are holy, you are set apart. The moment that you said yes to Christ, he set you apart for holy use. You will, you will, you will get his, the inheritance of eternal life. You don't have to wonder about it. Well, will I eventually get eternal life? Yes, you will. You already have it. You have eternal life right now. It's not just an extension of your life. It's eternal life that you have right now. 
You are the righteousness of God. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. You are the righteousness of God. In other words, when you said yes to Christ, He put that new heart in you. He gave you His righteousness. His righteousness. You are righteous before God. Now, you are sons, as we found out in, in, in Galatians 4. You are sons and you are heirs, heirs to eternal life. And you are blessed with every spiritual blessing that you could ever have found in Ephesians 1. When my, uh, when my wife, when she was dying about seven years ago now, hasn't been, Grace? Um, when she was thinking, when she finally realized that she was going to die, she called for me and I, and I said yes. And she says, could you go through everything with me again? Could you go through the plan of salvation and everything? And so I started. I started with all the, the promises that God has given to us. And then I closed by reading the, the epistle, the Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.13, I said, Judy, I said, I want you to listen to this carefully. I said, listen to this. I said, when you were 10 years old and gave your life to Christ, listen to what the Bible says. When you received Christ, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit until Christ comes. Nothing can break that seal. Nothing. It's God's seal. And he sealed you until the second coming of Christ. And she said to me, she, she, she did a big pause. She goes, oh. She says, it's all true, isn't it? And I says, indeed it is. Indeed it is. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, he says, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? His humanity was calling out. Why hast thou forsaken me? It's only normal that when we have faced crisis in this life, that we think and wonder, we, we, we feel, oh, am I really born again? Look what's going through my head. Am I really born again? Yes. Just go down 12 inches. That's all you have to do. Just go down 12 inches, and you have a new heart, a new spirit, and then you have the Holy Spirit living in there. This is what the Bible says in Colossians 3, 3. Your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are protected. You are solid. I mean, every day we should wake up and just praise the Lord for him accepting us and for him dwelling within us, for him sharing his life with us through the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. It's the exchange life in Christ. He took my old life out and he put a new life in. He put a new life in. What a marvelous God we have. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being such a wonderful and awesome God. We thank you for loving us when we at times are so unlovable. We thank you that you care for us when at times we care for very little. We're thankful, Lord, that you understand us. We're thankful that you dwell inside of us. 
We praise you for it. And as we leave the sanctuary this morning, we just want to praise you for all that you are doing, all that you... We just, we just thank you so much for what you think of us to call of sons and daughters. We praise you and thank you for that. Bless us. May the power of your Holy Spirit continue to lead and to guide us into more and more truth. For we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.